Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week, and I am very excited because we are doing Sonata Artica's Ecliptica, which is an album I knew we would get to eventually, and part of me is a little surprised it took this long, uh, but when you kind of gave me a couple of albums the week prior, I, I thought that this would be a nice fit. But before we get there, Chris, my man, how are you? Very good. Uh, I just got back from a nice vacation. Uh, I did get to see you for a little bit which was cool and uh yeah um i haven't really listened to very much music um in the last week because i was kind of just away and enjoying a little bit of the beach life so uh i um i i gave this album a listen prior to my trip and then uh, uh right before we recorded just a little memory jog but uh i don't even know if i really even needed to listen to it to talk about it but um I wanted to anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. I just want to mention a couple of things that I that I kind of listened to this week that I uh, I think you'll particularly enjoy some of them. The new brainstorm, um, the new brainstorm single was released, and they're kind of like a polarizing band. A lot of people love their old stuff. Some people are, are more into the newer newer albums, and it's been a while since they've released anything. But they released a new single called "Glory Disappears," which was kind of cool, um, and, and definitely harkens back to the old stuff. So definitely worth a listen there. I had posted the new Iron Maiden single, which came out of absolutely nowhere. I I, I was shocked when I went on YouTube and, and I saw that there had been a new Iron Maiden single. So obviously we had, we already posted that. I won't I won't be posting that again. But the writing is definitely on the wall. Did you have a chance to listen to that by any chance? I definitely have not, but I have seen quite a bit of uh, dissenting opinions about it. But I guess I'm going to dissent kind of... as well because I loved it. So uh, they, they can do no wrong in my eyes, but uh, I'm a little bit of a fanboy. So I guess that's to be expected. Yeah, I guess um, it's kind of typical of, of newer Maiden is that some people are just always going to be hoping for, you know, the like them to sound like they used to. And it's just not really going to be a thing. So um, if you can appreciate, you know, who they are now, then maybe you can appreciate this. Um I imagine I'll enjoy it. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Yeah, I, I think you definitely will. Um, it's 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 different. It's it's almost got like a country vibe to it, but it works. I don't know somehow it works. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, and two other two other things that came out that were definitely worth mentioning: the new Orbit Culture single, "Flight of the Fireflies," it came out yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on Friday night. Uh, it came out yesterday on Thursday. Really good song, a great follow-up to their last album, which kind of got rave reviews. So if you liked what you heard with the last album, you're going to love this, I have no doubt. And another band that came out with a new album, and it had been 10 years since their prior release, is a band called Times of Grace. They came out with an album called Songs of Loss and Separation. And before I talk a little bit about that, their prior effort came out in 2011, The Hymn of a Broken Man. That album is phenomenal. Uh, the new one, I only listened to it once. I really haven't had a chance to digest it. Um, it's kind of like a metalcore supergroup with guys from Kill Switch Engage, um, uh, the rhythm guitarist from Shadows Fall, um, and some other members as well. Not really my style. I'm not a big metalcore guy, but this album um, from 10 years ago was so awesome that I had to check out the new one, and it's, it's pretty good. I, I think it's different from most of the stuff that I listen to, but it's really well done, and you could tell that they are 
they got something special here, and I'm surprised it took 10 years to release something new. I don't know if you're familiar, but I'll definitely post something this week so you can uh, check them out. Cool. Look forward to it. And um, now we're getting to the reason why we're here. Sonata Artica's Ecliptica, which came out in 1999. In certain ways, it feels like just yesterday that I remember you talking about this band uh, and basically telling me, I have to go check this out. How did you find them? Um, back in 1999 when, when the internet was still in its infancy stage? Um, th- you know, I'm trying to remember who I spoke to, um, just somebody that I had become friends with via AOL who I would chat with. And I can't remember if it was um, Darren from Metal Ages or it very well may have been. Um, but there was just a few people that I used to chat with. And um, he had said, um, you got you to gotta check out this uh, this new band, Sonata Artica, this power metal band from Finland. And he sent me um, the first two tracks on the album, Blank File and My Land. And that's pretty much all I needed to hear to be convinced. So I... Um, I remember when uh, our friend Pat would order CDs from Altamira, if I remember correctly, I told him just blind, like buy a copy of this album for you and Ralph and myself and whoever else. Um, And just like, and he had never even heard of them and he was usually the one telling us about bands. So it was kind of the first time I got to, you know, share a new band with everybody um, and, kind of be the, the the local discoverer if you will and um you know everybody was completely blown away I don't, I don't think we had any idea what kind of legacy the band was gonna put forth uh because all we really had to go on was this this one album but it was pretty it was pretty mind-blowing at the time yeah it, it was i mean let's, i mean let's be honest the stradivarius uh comparison is obviously strong with these guys they were basically riding the, the heels of 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 Stradivarius's you know trifecta with fourth dimension and episode and visions and then they and then Sonata releases um this album in November of 1999 and it's obviously heavily influenced by Stradivarius and they would later actually go on to tour with the band and even do a couple of Stradivarius covers during their live shows so Obviously, the influence is there, but for some reason, this just resonated with me so much when I was a kid. I don't know if it was just the fact that it was so the, the, the vocals were so different, or the fact that the choruses on a lot of these songs were just so catchy. But I was it was love for love at first listen for me, um, and since then the band has gone on to such a uh, storied and varied history that. Um, I find myself always going back to Ecliptica because it was, you know, my first love of the band. And I, it was just, um, it was that sound that bands were just coming out with, you know, in the, in the, you know, in the mid to late nineties. And they've kind of, a lot of bands have kind of moved away from that sound. And it's a shame because that this to me is like the, the, the heyday of power metal. Yeah, no doubt about it. Um, I feel like they, they had, they took that Stradivarius influence, but they kind of turned it on its head and, and uh, went with like an even uh, faster kind of uh, more energetic style. Um, I mean, like, oh, you you think that you listen to like Blank File and My Land, and you think like, man, this band is fast. And then it's like they double down on on Eighth Commandment, and later on with picturing the past. I mean, um, even Kingdom for a Heart. I mean, there are some really really uh, up tempo songs on on this album, and and um, I just remember 
really sticking out at the time as something that felt really unique. And um, I just remember liking it immediately and I couldn't wait to, to hear even more. Um, and so I was, I was uh, quick to get the, the rest of the album and, and hear, you know, all the other eight songs. And I think I eventually got the Japanese bonus track um, from Napster or whatever, or when I was in college, something like that, um, uh, which was another really strong track too, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But um, yeah, this was just uh, a really just, I thought this was such a, a an important release um, in not just not Artica's history, but in power metal. And um, it, I think we mentioned. Um, did we talk about um, uh, la- the la- was it the Loudwire rankings that when we were talking about Hammerfall last week, or was it a different magazine? Either way, uh, Loudwire ranked this the 16th best power metal album of all time. So um, hard you know, to disagree. It, it, I got to be honest with you. When you really think back at just the pantheon of power metal albums. I, I think that's fair. I mean, I, I, you could argue it's higher. I, I'm not sure that I necessarily would, but I, you know, the fact that you're even talking about it on a on a top list of albums, I think, is indicative of how good this particular release is. I would argue it was all downhill from here, um, and, and and I know that a lot of people would say that they really enjoy some of the newer albums, and I and I'm not going to say that I don't enjoy some of the songs. But just as an album from top to bottom, this was as good as it gets. Although, ironically, my favorite songs are actually on the follow-up album, um, which which would obviously come out uh, two years later, and that would be Silence. That album, I think, is a little bit not not quite as balanced as Ecliptica, but my some of my favorite, I mean, absolute favorite power metal songs are on that disc, Wolf and Raven. Uh, being being number one on, on that particular album, I just I think it's one of the best power metal songs ever. Um, but that that album is full of full of good songs. It's just not quite as balanced as, as Ecliptica. Would you agree with that, or do you think it's just as good? Um, I think it's I think it's just as good. In all honesty, I I put the first three albums all pretty much on a similar pedestal um, as far as the quality goes. I think it was after Winter Hearts Guild, which was their third album, where um, you know Reckoning Night. While there were some really like songs that would definitely fit in with these first three albums, like you know Misplaced and Ain't Your Fairy Tale and Don't Say a Word, you can tell with that that Reckoning Night album that they were starting to kind of make they were kind of coming into like a a change and i think that with the following album uh unia that would almost be like the beginning of the next era of sonata artica style i think where they kind of took on a little bit more of a a progressive sound and a little bit less of a of an in-your-face power metal sound so um you know kind of uh backtracking to what you said like i i i think that um I thought that Silence was more of a, a complete album than um, than Ecliptica, um, but I, I would I would I think I would still say I like Ecliptica better. Um, it's close. It's definitely close. But where I differ with you is that I think that Winter Hearts Guild was a definite step down from those first two albums. If 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 and I'm sure we'll get into the ratings, but Ecliptica and Silence are, are very close for me. They they really are. And they're two of the best power metal albums that, that you're going to buy. 
I think that with Winterheart's Guild, they took a real step back and then it kind of just went down from there just in terms of the complete package and obviously the overhaul of the sound. I'm curious how I would approach some of the newer albums had I heard them first or had I never heard the old stuff because I'm biased and I feel like I'm always waiting for Ecliptica Part 2 or Silence Part 2 and we just never got that from the band because they just never went back there. But ironically, when you see them live, they do play a lot of the old material and it's phenomenal and the crowd goes out of their minds and it's just it's just a phenomenal um, live show and a live presence. So it's like, I'm not really sure why they changed so dramatically. And that would be my number one question if I, if I was able to, you know, if we got them on the show, I want to know why the change, but yet they still respect the past because they play a lot of the songs from, from the first two albums. Yeah. Um, I think that there's, there's a lot of really good songs on the albums from, from Unia all the way through their most recent uh, album, uh, Talvio. Um, I just think that the albums aren't, uh, aren't full of hits the way the old, the, the earlier albums. And in my opinion, the first three albums, like almost every song is, is like a, is a great, like a really great song at the very least. Whereas like, I feel like there's less of that, uh, later on. I mean, I still think they're, I still think they're a very good band. I think they get a really, um, I think they get crapped on um, almost unfairly so by a lot of fans because of how much they've changed. And it's like, well, you know, bands change. Uh, it's, if you can't, you know, kind of like with, you know, with Iron Maiden, as we mentioned earlier, it's like, if you're going to sit and pine for the past, you might as well just go sit and listen to the old records and stop, you know, buying the new ones and, and complaining about it because it doesn't look like there's going to be much of a change. I think that people thought maybe with Pariah's Child in 2014 that maybe they were going to kind of, I feel like that was the closest album to the old style um, that they've come in, in the last 15 or so years. Um, yeah, yeah. It's probably my favorite of their more recent albums, but I mean, um, you know, I, I, I popped on their, um, they, they, I think in Japan there was a greatest hits album that was um, all songs from from uh, Unia and, and forward. And I mean, there's a lot of really really good songs. It's just that they're not coming in as fast and furious as as they were earlier on. And and they're not really as power metal or as just you know straight power metal. Um, it, it's a little bit more nuanced. It, it's a little bit more proggy. It's a little bit more, I'd even say it's a little bit, um, a little bit moody, like, uh, a little bit blue. Um, it feels like they're experimenting with a little bit more different styles and, and don't want to be lumped in as just this Stradivarius clone, you know, power metal band, um, that only does, you know, one kind of song. Um, so I, I think that's kind of, in a very brief way, kind of describing the, the, the path that the band has taken over the years. Um, which, so it's really interesting to, to talk about this very first album where, you know, we had no expectations and, and have pretty much zero idea of what direction uh, the band is going to head in. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think that um, 
the way I would describe it is kind of Finland's answer to Ed Guy in the sense that they write these catchy power metal songs. Uh, obviously, uh, great musicians don't really take themselves too, too seriously on stage, which makes for a fun live show. Um, but you know, some of these, you know, some of the early tracks from both the bands who, you know, both bands would obviously change directions later on. Um, so there's really a nice parallel, I think, between both of their careers. Um, but let's just, I guess, jump into it. I mean, the album starts off, I mean, right away with Blank File, with the drums that the drum, little drum solo that starts it and right into the song, you know what you're in for 30 seconds into this album. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't, couldn't really say it any better i mean um it's it, it just hits you right over the head right away like here's what we're here's what we're going for and um wh- once the the solos kind of come in um you can just it, it's just um you know yanni uh, and uh and um and i'm um, sorry uh miko the keyboard player just just going back and forth and um, or was it even was Miko even in the band yet? Or so, um, so that's a great question. Tony gets Tony Kako, the obviously the singer, gets the the keyboard credits on the album. I'm not sure that he actually played the keyboards. I I don't have the answer to this, but I know that Miko obviously joins the band in short order and would obviously tour with them. You know, during those early informative years. Unclear. I, I think there might be a little bit of an issue there in terms of who got the, the writing credits, but it certainly sounds like a Miko solo. A lot of those. Uh, yeah, I mean, the whole I mean, if that's if that is Tony, then props to Tony because the keyboard solos are really awesome. Oh, yeah, I was gonna say, and it, and it really it's striking right away with blank file. I two of my absolute favorite keyboard solos on the entire disc are during the instrumental section of, of that particular song. But what I love is the trade off between the guitars and the keys going back and forth. It's very reminiscent of Stradivarius, obviously, but it's just so good. And, and when, 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 you know, in, in this particular song, you know, the, the, the lower key that Tony sings in towards the end of the song is just a nice contrast to those vocals early on, which are just high pitched and, and, and in your face and screaming. It's, it's, it is the perfect track to introduce the album and introduce you to the band because this is what you were getting for the next two discs and the EP that they sandwich in the middle. Yep, absolutely. Um, it's it's kind of I'm glad that it's the first song I heard by them because it really was just a great way to just get into it. You know, just become a. I just I think just that one song I became a, a fan for life of his band. I mean, it really um, made a, an impression on me right from the get go. What did you think of Myland? Because it was obviously it's it's very similar. Um, it kind of starts with a more of a mid-tempo before it really kicks in. And it's a song that they still play live to this day. What are your thoughts? Because I have a little bit of an an interesting opinion of this song. Yeah, I mean, this was, I think at the time, I I liked this song even more than Blank File when I first heard both of them. Um, I think it's a little bit more layered. Um, You know, there's a slower part towards the end of the song. I was convinced that there was a... Uh, a female vocalist doing like a duet at the at towards the end of the song. It was really just Tony doing like a really high part, uh, you know, recorded against his lower part. I was I just was convinced it was a, a woman singing. Um, but I, I like this song. It's a little bit it's a little bit slower than Blank File, um, but I think that it has has um, more melody to it, and it's it's more it's more of a melodic tune. And um, I, I 
I think it, it kind of is remembered as one of the more iconic songs on this very iconic album. Um, and like you said, they, it, it is a song that tends to be uh, revisited in a live setting. But um, yeah, I, I'm still a big fan of the song. I loved this song when I first heard it. And, and, and I always had a soft spot in my heart for this particular song. But having gone back now and revisited it, it's probably my least favorite song on the album. Um, and I think that's really more of a testament to the fact that every other song is really, really good. And maybe I've played it just a touch too much, but I find it to be just a little bit too repetitive throughout. Um, but I will know, I will say this when I think of a, a band that would come along just a couple of years later, and they're one of my favorite under the radar power metal bands, and that's Twilightning. This track clearly influenced Twilightning and, their, and another Finnish band, mind you, and their, you know, their 2003 release, Delirium Veil. It was so apparent to me that this um, kind of set the stage for what Twilightning would become just four years later. Um, I, I, I'd be shocked if, the, if, it, if they weren't the number one influence in this particular song in particular. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Uh, that was... Um... That was an incredible debut album, and and didn't they never really followed up with anything that came close to that quality, in my opinion. Um, I could definitely see that there's, uh, especially with their use of that that keyboard to guitar back and forth kind of style. Totally, um, yeah, I could definitely see that, and, and the vocals are not terribly far off either. No, no, and 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 I think very similar to to Sonata in the sense that the later albums after the debut. Um, there are some very good songs and then there's other songs that are a little bit different and kind of out there. Um, you just have to dig a little bit deeper. Whereas this, I think it kind of hits you in the face. And obviously speaking of in your face, eighth commandment, the third track, I mean, this one is, it's just put your seatbelt on because you're going to go along for a really fast ride with this one. It's a chorus that just sticks in your head. And I don't think it's Tony's best vocals, but for some reason they just fit the song perfectly. Yeah, this the thing that kind of blew my mind too is I, I'll never forget. Um, I was visiting, um, I was visiting uh, you guys after I had just you know started college and I was visiting for the first time and uh, we went to New York City and we went to um, the Virgin Mega Store, which was an enormous record uh, record store in the middle of Times Square, and I remember buying the the successor EP that was the next release that um, the band had come out with. And there was some uh, live versions of tracks from this album. And, and I couldn't believe that a song like eighth commandment that is already really fast was even faster. Yeah. The songs that they had on that, on that EP, the live tracks were played at an even faster tempo than on the album, which is insane. When you think about this song in particular, how fast it is, in and of itself. Um, so I, I, I oftentimes think of uh, that EP and, and it was, I remember, Oh God, I must've paid $30 for this 30 minute, you know, thing, but it was like totally worth it. Cause there was some new tracks on it, a couple of covers and, and but these live tracks in particular um, definitely made it worth, worth picking up. So um, that's kind of what I think of uh, when I hear this, but this song is awesome. And it should be mentioned that this is one of the two songs that, was written by uh, Yanni Limatainen, who um, would eventually leave the band, and, and I think um, I think left 
a, a major songwriting void uh, in his absence when you think about these two songs, uh, Eighth Commandment and Picturing the Past, which I think are the two fastest songs on the album, which is, is really saying something. Um, you know, a, a, and he would go on to, to do make these amazing albums with, um, you know, Kane's Offering, which has uh, Timo Cotipelto, Stradivarius on vocals, and more recently, um, Dark The Dark Element with um, former Nightwish vocalist Annette Olsen, um, which their two albums, particularly the first one, are phenomenal. So, um, you know, he's still out there writing some, you know, really good stuff for, for other bands. It's kind of a shame that, uh, you know, he, he had left Sonata Artica and left that, like I said, left that songwriting void because, like, these are two of my personal favorite songs, not just on the album, but in the entire Sonata Artica discography. I'm so glad you mentioned that because if you didn't, I was going to bring it up later. I think you could almost tie the 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 decline or the change in style if you will to him leaving the band right because he leaves the band in 2007 and that's when you know unia had come out and really i don't know just the, there was a real 180 in terms of the sound i think it was a gradual with winter hearts guild and reckoning night but, but with unia it was completely different than the four albums that preceded it and i have to wonder if Either he left the band because of the change in sound or because they just had, you know, the classic creative differences that kind of drove them in two different directions because it, it was right around that time when things really began to change for them. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. I also think even prior to that, the the departure of the keyboard player Miko Harkin also, I don't know how much he was involved in songwriting, but I, I think that his absence also makes a difference because I mean, he, he really was only on the, um, the silence album, uh, as a full-time, uh, keyboard player, because by the time winter hearts guild comes out, he's already left the band and Jens Johansson is, um, you know, filling in on certain keyboard solos. So, but I just think that that lineup that they had during silence and they would record this live album songs of silence um live in tokyo which is really really awesome um i mean just all the best songs from the first two albums even a couple i think they even play um like some of their b-sides um just oh my god goodness like i thought this this is my favorite um lineup of sonata artica is with like Tony, Yanni, and Miko, and like even Tommy Portimo, who was um, you know founding member, who was their drummer. Um, that was uh, that was like my favorite um, lineup of Sonata Artica. So to have that full uh, live album was was really cool. So um, yeah, it's it's kind of an underrated live album for sure. It just it it I remember when I bought that as well, and it just it checks off all the boxes for me. It sounds good. It's fun. It's it's like you said, everything is sped up, not just on the EP that would follow it up, but the, the live album as well after silence. Um, it's, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, let me ask you this and, and I'll just come out and say it. I think replica is another overrated song. And again, I, another song I used to love back, back way back when, um, and, and certainly a well-placed ballad. It's time to slow things down. I think it's a little bit bland, and and there's certainly another album, uh, another ballad that we'll talk about that I think blows it out of the water just a little bit later on. Do you do? You, what are your thoughts on Replica? Are you a fan of the song, or do you think that um, 
it's kind of one of the weaker songs on the album. I wish you would have mentioned that during lunch the other day because I think Brian would have slapped you. Um, <laughs> I remember Brian loved this. I mean, at the time, this might have been his favorite song on the album. I just know he loved this song. But um, I'm going to disagree with you 100%. Um, I think this song blows Letter to Dana, which I'm assuming is what you were referring to. I, was. I think this blows Letter to Dana out of the water. I think Letter to Dana is, the, is my least favorite song on the album. And... Um, I think I love I think this album's great. It starts with this album. The song is great. It starts out as a ballad. It kind of picks up um with a little bit of a faster tempo with a guitar solo. It comes across fantastic live. Um I, I love this song. Um Well, I'm gonna I, differ with you. Um like I said, it's 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 not that it's a bad song. It's 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 on a it's well placed, it's a good song. I just think it's a bit overrated. And I would completely disagree with you and Ryan. It's 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 just something about it just didn't click with me this time around, which is a little bit different. But I also think that it's <laughs> I guess I knew what was coming up next, which is gonna be my song of the week, Kingdom for a Heart, and that's part of the reason why. Kingdom for a Heart is probably one of my favorite songs on any power metal disc. got the catchy vocals it's got the catchy choruses it's got good ver- the verses themselves extremely catchy amazing solos this to me is the definition of like that speedy melodic power metal at its absolute best not my favorite sonata article song but definitely close yeah this is i there was a time that this probably would have been my song of the week um it's not gonna be but it's 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 pretty damn close but um this is one of my all-time favorite Sonata Arctica songs. It's one of my all-time favorite power metal songs. Um, the last time I saw the band play live, they played this, and I lost my mind. Uh, I was <laughs> so excited to hear them play this live. It's an incredible live song. It's I, I remember after actually getting the, the full album that this was the song that blew me out of the water. Um, I, I just was... It just hits all the the notes you want a power metal song to hit. It's fast. It's catchy. Um, it's there's. It's just perfect. It's such a great song. Um, still not my track of the week, but I mean, probably a, a very close second. Do you? Do you? Uh, let me say it this way. Do you, when you hear the next track like Full Moon, for some reason I have this as the first track I heard from them. Memory little foggy there but for some reason i feel like this is the first song i heard by them it has that gallop if you will that we kind of talked about on some of the hammerfall stuff and whatnot this song ironically enough was 
the turning point in the album because I thought that with Kingdom for a Heart and Full Moon, we actually get into like a meaty, meaty, meaty second half of the album. And I, and when I say turning point, I don't know that I ever loved Full Moon as I did. Like this, this was a song that I actually did a 180 on, and now I actually love the song. I'm not sure I used to like it as much as I used to. Um, or I should say I like it more now than I used to. I just thought it was a really good song, and I think it really solidifies the second half of this album. And and I actually think I like the second half to the first. It might be my new preference. I like this song more now, too, uh, than I did initially. And, and I think also, too, it's just having to follow Kingdom for a Heart. It was just like you kind of have to take things down a notch, which they do for about a minute because this song <laughs> sounds like a ballad, but then it just got, like you said, it goes into this really like awesome, like galloping kind of uh, tempo. And, and, and this is a song that I would, if I was a betting man would say um, is probably their most played song from this album uh, uh, live. Um if I had to guess which song they played the the most times from this album live, I'd guess it was this. Um, and I mean, it makes sense. It, it come. It's a perfect song for a live setting. Um, it's a. It's another really good song, and it's after Kingdom for a Heart. I think it's a. Good, it's good to kind of go back to more of a mid tempo song and kind of like. Not, I, when I say when you hear someone say like we're going to slow things down, you, you're expecting a ballad. This isn't really a ballad at all. It's just um, kind of bringing it back to. A little bit more of that my land kind of um, tempo, I would say. We strongly, obviously, disagree on Letter to Dana. I think it's a really, really great song. Um, I don't know that I used to like it nearly as much as I do now, but I really, really enjoyed listening to it a bunch of times this week. However, Unopened provides the perfect contrast to the power ballad. Um, it is so melodic and catchy and probably the most underrated track on the entire album. I'm not going to say it's my favorite, but it's, it's so underrated and so catchy. Uh, I, I would not be surprised if it was your track of the week. And if it's not that I'm going to have to say it's destruction preventer, but I'm just going out on the limb. Um, yeah, I mean, I never was a huge fan of letter to Dana. I thought the lyrics were kind of cheese ball and and um i still do I, I think i like the song a little bit more than i used to but um and, and for me to say it's my least favorite song on the album is saying that you know it's an eight out of ten that's just how good the rest of the songs are um it's just it just happens to be my the one song that is kind of just the one i, I don't like as much um but yeah unopened is another song that i didn't think much of when, back in the day, it was also it also happened to be the uh, the one single from this album. Um, but man, it's aged very well for me. Um, it also, I think, again of that successor EP with the live version of this. I love how they start the song very really slow on the live version, and then um, and then they just kick into like this super speedy keyboard solo to um get the song going but yeah this song is great um a, a really great contrast to like the the ballad and and um the ballad before it and um yeah I, this is a song that i uh i really like quite a bit more than i did when the album first came out and once again it, it's almost like a lot of albums of this time you know like you know, somewhere out in space by Gamma Ray, which we talked about just as, as a for instance, or even the Hammerfall uh, Legacy of Kings album we talked about last week. It's just that when you have so many of these um, iconic songs to to start the album, I mean, the first five tracks 
on this album are like five of uh, five like iconic Sonata Artica songs. So it's kind of like it's almost like you're you're reaching like fatigue by the time you get to this eighth song uh, in a certain sense where it's like kind of like well how many friggin classics could be on this one album um but uh, you know going back all these years later and listening it again this song is just another incredibly strong song and uh it's it's not my track of the week as a matter of fact the the next track picturing the past is my track of the week and this is a song also that I don't know that I paid too much mind to when I first picked up the album, but as years have gone on, the the way that this song just starts, <laughs> like this berserk guitar solo that would make Ingve blush just to start the song, <laughs> and that and then the keyboards jump in, and it is just a friggin' burner, like from start to finish. It's the fastest track on the album, which is really saying something. Um, I don't know that I'll, I've ever seen them play it live. I'm not sure I ever will. I'm not sure they ever have. This song, Jesus, if you're in a bad mood, put this song on. This will pick you up. It is just masterful songwriting by uh, Yanni Limatainen. And um, again, just a, a, an example of what's, what is missed by him not being in the band anymore. This song is an absolute just... Oh, I just I, I, I don't I can't say anything bad. This song is just phenomenal and... Um, really sets the table perfectly for this this um the longest and final track of the 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 main 10 tracks on the album not counting the bonus track uh destruction preventer which i will uh let you speak on yeah before we get there i just want to say one other thing well two things about picturing the past when i say that the second half of this disc may be stronger than the first this is the track that cemented it for me so if if i hadn't chose kingdom for a heart I would have chose picturing the past. So I, I completely understand why you would make this your track of the week. I want to say one other thing. If you close your eyes, right, and you listen to that song, but you just imagine Tarja singing, tell me that doesn't belong on Oceanborn. Yeah, I mean, some of the, the, the key the key parts for sure have um, very like old old school Nightwish kind of vibes. And being that this album came out a year after Oceanborn, um, it's not terribly surprising. Another Finnish band. Um, yeah, I could definitely definitely picture that for sure. Yeah, I, for some reason it just really resonated, and I'm not sure that I ever noticed that before. But to me, I just it was screaming that early Nightwish sound. Uh, but yeah, we we get to the epic track, Destruction Preventer, and I, I use the term epic 
a, a little bit um, a little bit loosely. It's, it clocks in at just under eight minutes. It's about seven minutes and forty seconds. It's funny. I. I I always, always, always heard this song and always thought the verses were just a complete ripoff of Black Diamond, right? So, like, that's the one thing I will always say. The verses to me may as well have been Black Diamond by Stradivarius, but uh, they get a pass because the rest of the song is just so awesome. The choruses are great and the solos are just so good and so different. And the change of pace throughout, which is unlike any of the other songs really on the disc where they go from... um, you know, really slow to fast, back to slow again, and then picks up towards the end. I love it. And then obviously the fact that they end the song with the drum fill from Blank File and the keyboard outro from Letter to Dana, it's just a perfect ending track to this album. Yeah, this was the perfect choice for the last song, not just because of its length, but just the like you said, the style of the song. Um, I think this was just another one of those songs I didn't pay enough attention to when I first heard the album again, because, you know, it's just this fatigue of, of how many great songs are, are, you know, preceding it. But this is another incredible song that I think I probably like more, a little bit more every time I listen to it. Um, like you said, um, just lots of different, um, different tempos throughout. And, and, um, I think it really, uh, just hits where it needs to hit and makes for a good, um, a good change, uh, something different that they hadn't done, you know, with the previous nine tracks, which for the most part are, are pretty, you know, pretty power metal staples. And then, and then with a couple of ballads sprinkled in, um, this was, this was just, I think showing that they had a little bit more depth, uh, to them. And, um, again, it's still, rife with the amazing keyboard and, and guitar solos, just like everything else. But um, uh, just a, a great way to cap off the, uh, th- this fantastic album. And, uh, and a lo- and low key Mary Lou, the bonus track easily could have been on this album. I love the, uh, just a phenomenal bonus track to, is like the cherry on top of all of this. Yeah, this was, so this was a, um, this was the B side, um, on the unopened single and it would be, um, added as a bonus track on, on some of the, the foreign editions of Ecliptica. Um, I was, I, I heard this song a bit later after hearing the, the rest of the album and it was just so awesome to hear another song from this band because there were 10, you know, at one point there were t- literally 10 songs that I was aware of. So getting this 11th song and it, and I stand by the, the stance that in those first few years of Sonata Artica, they had B sides that were better than most bands, you know, a material. Um, they have some just absolutely incredible B sides, whether they be um, covers or just original material, this being one of them. I mean, this really could have been, sandwiched in somewhere on the album i mean the album's already chock full of classics but i i don't even i don't even look at the song as a as a b-side only because it's just that good of a song so i'm glad yeah i mean the the fact of the matter is they stuck san sebastian on an ep that's all i have to say about that they stuck san sebastian as an as, as, as a as a track on an ep that song could be on any power metal album and it would do it would it would be it would fit extremely nicely so um, they, they, they really hit magic right out of the gate. I'll, I'll say this. They re-recorded the album, uh, 15 years after it came out. Um, I don't know why they messed with it. I don't, 
I didn't see a need for it. Obviously, there had been lineup changes, but to me, I find it almost unlistenable. Just because, why would you? It's like I can understand if you made Ecliptica Part Two, but to re-record the original when it was so perfect, I, I just never got on 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 board with that. Yeah, I I didn't really dislike it, but I I, I agree that it really was kind of unnecessary because it's not like the album had like poor production or a drum machine or something like that, right, you know, right. you know, kind of harkening back to when we discussed how shadow galleries, original album was a drum machine and they didn't even go and re-record that album. So, um, I mean the sonically this, the original version of Ecliptica still holds up, you know, 20 plus years later. So having, I mean, I get, you know, re-recording it, it's an anniversary and it's, it's arguably their most important album, but, um, yeah, I didn't think it was particularly necessary either. But I mean, if it was something where they were just fulfilling the terms of a record contract or just had some free time or whatever, uh, if nothing else, it gave us the um, the amazing I Can't Dance Genesis cover that they threw <laughs> on as a bonus track. If nothing else, that that, that they did. Um, scale of 1 to 10, uh, how high is this for you? Um, this is a 9.5. Uh, and I think that if I had... If, if Letter to Dana was a song that I really loved, it might it might very well be a 10, um, just because I think every single other song on this album is fantastic, including the bonus track, Mary Lou. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's pretty close to being a perfect album for me, and um, I just never get sick of listening to it. And, and it's almost like every time I do listen to it, um, there's a new song that that becomes my favorite for that you know, that outing, um, so which is that, usually that's... a testament to how strong an album is. And, I, and I've had that happen a number of times where, uh, you know, I, I listen to an album, I think I have a favorite song. And the next time I listen to the album, it's a different song. I, I, it's usually a testament to a strong album. It's a 9.5 for me as well. I think I would have given it a 10 in 1999 or 2000. Um, it's, it's aged very well, maybe a little bit, you know, maybe it's gone down just a little bit because I've heard so much in the last 20 plus years. Um, but it's darn, darn close. And, and I, I have to go back and listen to silence as soon as we're done, because I, I just want to listen to all that old stuff again. I love it. Yeah. I ended up kind of going down the rabbit hole before I went away on vacation and just pretty much listened to everything, um, all the way through reckoning night. Um, and, and it's kind of, it's always, it's interesting because they, you know, I think in Japan, they released two greatest hits albums and one of them was, you know, everything from Ecliptica to Reckoning Night. And then the second uh, was everything from Unia up until whatever, you know, was the newest material at the time. So I kind of consider those the two, uh, if you were going to lump Snot Artica into two different eras, that those are the two eras for me. Um, I guess you could even say it was like the Yanni era and the non-Yanni era, even though sure. Yanni sure. was technically on Unia, but maybe he's already had one foot out the door at that point. Um but, uh, you know, like, I think there's more meat on the bones in the early era, but I just think that there are a ton of good songs in that second era as well. I just think that there's just more, you know, there's more songs on each album that just are, are unforgettable. And going back and listening to Silence again, it's like that album is fantastic. I, I put it right up there with, with Ecliptica. And, and I definitely um, would 
challenge you to give Winter Hearts Guild another listen if you haven't in recent times, because I think that it's very underappreciated. Um, I just think like, you know, Graven Image and Silver Tongue and Champagne Bath and Victoria's Secret and even the opening track, Abandoned, Please Brainwashed, Exploited, the Japanese bonus track. I mean, <laughs> there's a lot of really, really good songs on this album. This is a really strong your- album. And, and it's fun to hear Yenzio Hansen um, have a few keyboard solos and, you know, you know without a doubt that it's him because, you know, his keyboard is such a distinct sound. On your recommendation, I will go back and listen to Winter Hearts Guild. I always struggled with this album. And I just remember, to me, it was... I think my love for the first two albums was so high that anything that wasn't that and, and made in its exact image and likeness was going to be a tough pill to swallow. I never got into the album and I played it a ton when it came out. I mean, over and over again, and it just never clicked like the first two did. Um, I'm going to go back to it. I'm going to go back to it this week and I'm going to, uh, maybe I'll report back next week and let you know what I think. I, I just, um, I struggled with it and I, I look forward to listening to it again. And one of these weeks, I think we definitely should do one of the newer albums just because it's so different. I, I just need to kind of listen to it with, with fresh ears. But we will not be doing that next week. Why don't you tell everybody what we will be doing next week? Yeah, so this is something that we've kind of had um, in the works for a while now. And we were just waiting for the availability of um, a special guest that we're going to have. Um, and his name is uh, Andrew Gross, who is a... Uh, beat writer for the New York Islanders for the Newsday uh, newspaper, which um, if you're from New York, you're probably familiar with. If you're not, it, it um, it's pretty much like Long Island's hometown newspaper. It's the newspaper I grew up reading. Um, and uh, Andrew and I kind of got um, into talking because he, uh, he has a podcast that he does for the Islanders called Island Ice, which he does for Newsday. Um, and, uh, he has a a really cool feature where, um, you can sign up and get, uh, text alerts directly from him, typically before news gets released as far as, you know, transactions and, uh, you know, lineup changes, scheduling, things of that nature. And so, um, you know, knowing that he, uh, is a big fan of heavy metal and hard rock and actually has experience, um, playing drums himself, uh, we just kind of got to talking and he started listening to our podcast and had a lot of kind words to say. And um, he had said that um, there was an album that that is one of his all time favorites. And it's from a band called Blue Murder. And um, they released a, a self-titled debut album in 1989. And, and so this is going to be something where me and you do not have any we've never listened to this before we have no um prior like knowledge base or 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 just we really don't know what to expect so i'm really looking forward to having andrew come on with us talk about an album that he probably knows front to back and talk to us who are going to be um experiencing it for the first time i think it's going to be super interesting and and i'm uh very much looking forward to this um yeah uh i i i think you would 
tend to agree. I, I definitely would. I remember when we did the Opeth album early on and, and you hadn't listened to that. And even the Haggard stuff, um, which I had seen live, at least we had some exposure to this. I have never heard a note from this band. Uh, obviously familiar with the musicians in the band, but for some reason, this particular album just escaped me. And I am very much looking forward to it and giving just an honest assessment of an album from, you know, almost 20, almost, you know, over 22 years ago now that I just have never heard. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure that we will have, uh, opinions on this. And I'm, and I'm sure, um, you know, Gross is going to, uh, Andrew Gross is going to have his opinions as well. Um, which, I'll be curious to see if they're the same. You know, it's like different different strokes for different folks, but I, I definitely look forward to diving into this this week. And I plan on giving it a number of listens because um, I, I want to give it its justice. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that with him. Yeah, for sure. Um, it definitely sounds like it's going to be, it'll fit with our, our typical, uh, I mean, it's probably going to be more heavy metal than than listening to Russia's 2112. So, I mean, it, it, it'll fit in with... Um, with our, with what we typically speak about. Um, so yeah, it, it's always fun to listen to something that new, even though, um, it's, you know, 30 over 30 years old, but, um, oh, because yeah, geez, somebody that I, how about my math? I'm saying 22, 32, geez. Yeah. So, but just Crazy. somebody that, somebody that whose opinion I respect thinks so highly of this album, it leads me to believe that I think the both of us will end up enjoying it. It's just going to be a, a matter of how much, but um, I just thought it would be kind of cool to do something a little bit different. I, I don't think we've ever had anybody else come on with us before. So this will be the first time we'll um, outside of interviews. Um, this will be kind of our first episode with a, a third voice in the room. So, um, and being that Andrew does his own podcast, he definitely um, has a voice for this and, probably going to make us sound like jobbers in, in, the, <laughs> in the process, but um, I'm really looking forward to having him on and I'm sure we'll, we'll probably talk a bit about some other bands and things of that nature, but um, I'm kind of expecting him to kind of lead the way and maybe give us a little bit more of the, uh, you know, the history and stuff since I would imagine he could probably, you know, recite it off the top of his head. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and with that, let's, uh, let's call it a day here. I'm glad we got to do some Sonata. And I'm definitely looking forward to some Blue Murder next week. So uh, enjoy the week, and I will uh, touch base with you guys uh, soon. All right. Take care, buddy. Take it easy.